I, I knew Rob early and then got to know him on a missions trip. I think it was to Spokane. And at the time, you were uh, in charge or leading, I don't know exactly your position, but a large uh, scientific biotech company here in Bozeman. Uh, You're kind of like the guy in charge, uh, from what I understand. Uh, but a very prominent, large position. And on that missions trip, God, I think you'd probably be safe to say, made a hard right-hand turn. And it was fun watching Rob. We were at a, um, oh, what was it? A uh, missions, camp. missions camp, but it was specifically helping the homeless down in Spokane. And the light went off, uh, or on, uh, for you. And it was great just listening to this end-time process of what you were going through and how God was moving you from one place, really, to being... We didn't, you had no idea where you were going, but just this overdriving passion to help people. And the neat thing that I learned from Rob was his willingness to follow God's leading and wherever that was. Because he had no idea at that time that it was going to be a love ink. He just knew that he wanted to help people. And I really appreciate that about you so much. So come on up and I'm really looking forward to what you have to say. Sure. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. <clears throat> Good morning. So I always set a timer so I don't take too much of your time. Just enough. So as he mentioned, I did have a, a radical experience. I, had I always wanted to go on a short-term mission trip, but I didn't know when. I always had an excuse. <clears throat> so when I finally went, that was when God had tapped me on the shoulder and said that you're go, you need to use how I've prepared you to be in ministry. And as he said, I had no idea what that meant, but I knew that I was called and commanded into ministry. So now I am the executive director of your Gallatin County Love in the Name of Christ ministry, and it's a partnership of 49 Christian churches all serving this community and it's one of 122 affiliates across the nation that are the partnership of churches. And it's just an amazing blessing to be able to answer God's call. And I don't know if he knew what I was going to talk about, but he set this up rather well for me today, as did Ryan yesterday. But first, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll open the scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, we are surrounded by the mountains that sing to your glory. And yet there's so much broken and hurting people through this community and across the world as we wrestle with this pandemic and all that comes with it. The physical isolation, what they call social distancing, which is not social distancing, it's physical distancing because we remain as social people in your sight. 
May we continue to just enter into relationships with each other during this pandemic and, and bring this all to your glory. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And the people said, amen. I'd like to bring up C.J. Mole. He is our director of community growth, and he's going to open the word for us today. of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a burning bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is burned, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, your feet, for the place you are on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land that is good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In our text today, we witness Moses have this amazing experience. What began as a normal day, just shepherding the flock, and in this case, actual animals, he was leading them around the mountain to a greener pasture for them to get better food when he witnessed this amazing sight, this burning bush. And he decided to investigate. And when he did, he witnessed or experienced an amazing theophany an interaction with God himself. Moses comes across a burning bush that is not being consumed by the fire at the mountain of Horeb. And Horeb is a wasteland or desert in Hebrew. And he's on God's mountain. And when he investigates it, he comes face to face, so to speak, and the very, comes into the very presence of God. Imagine that for a moment. You begin your day normally. You think everything is going to be the same. And yet in that, you come right into the presence of God. 
the burning bush, and then having God calling you by name and giving you a specific task that he wants you to accomplish. How would any of us respond? How did Moses respond? God said, I have something for you to do. And Moses said, who am I? Why would you choose me? But then each time God comes back and talks to him, Moses says to God on the second time, suppose I to go to Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What am I supposed to tell him? Then he says, what if they don't believe me? But I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord, please send someone else. When confronted directly by God, Moses says that he has the wrong guy. God responds each time with, I am with you. On the mission trip that I went with Dean, I was there to experience what the mission trip was. I had no idea that it was going to change the direction of my life. I also didn't know when he introduced me it was going to change the direction of my sermon. But the reality was when we went to the mission, and it was a place where people were being served dinner, and they were coming in from all over the place just to get a meal, because it was the only meal that they could count on. And I had decided that I was going to wash the feet or clean the tables of the people that were there rather than serve the food. Because there was a line and you kind of give them food and then they walked on. But I wanted to see what was going on in their hearts and their lives and their just come into a relationship with them. And by doing so, it changed my life significantly. God did not call me as much as commanded me into a different line of work. I didn't recognize it at the time. And it's really easy to say, but who am I? What can I do? When coming into the very presence of God, Moses decides he begins it by doubting his own ability. How many of us have been there? You feel called into something, but who am I? What can I do? There's not much that I can do in this situation. I don't have the power. I don't have the whatever that would stand in the way. Then he attributes the worst to people. They wouldn't even listen to me anyway. Then his real doubts emerge. Send someone else, please. Moses is in good company, though. We see so many instances in the very presence of God, those who are called by God respond with a, not me, choose someone else. If you go to Jeremiah 1, 6, oh, Lord, I, truly, I don't know how to speak. For I am only a boy. He says he's too young to influence people. So he makes excuses that way. If we go to Isaiah, woe is me, I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in a, among a people of unclean lips. Judges, Gideon says, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. How about Jonah? He flees from God. He actually turns and runs in the other direction 
because he didn't want to serve or save those people. How many times have we heard people say, I don't want to save those people. I don't want to help those people. Those people are beyond my ability. Those people don't deserve it. Those people, whatever that those people are. Theologian Gerhard von Rod says, Neither previous faith nor any other personal endowment had the slightest part to play in preparing a man or woman who was called to stand before Yahweh, God, for his vocation. It's not what you do. It's what God is doing in you. Have you experienced a Moses moment? Have you felt called and said, not me. I'm not good enough. I couldn't do any enough. I, they wouldn't listen to me. Or worse, not them. Von Rod seems to suggest there's nothing particularly special that prepared Moses or any of the others for their calling. I would push back a little on that. I don't believe that's particularly true. And, and I'm not saying that it comes from what you're doing, the works that you're doing, that kind of thing. You can't go out and brush up on biblical knowledge and then run around saving the world on your own might. It doesn't work that way. However, God uniquely prepares each of us to enter into situations. It comes from what you're experiencing, what you've, what you've gone through. Maybe the, the rubble of your life as it exists right now or the rubble that used to be. Maybe you've gone through certain trials and difficulties or even are still in them. And because of them, your narrative resonates with someone else's in a way that they hear perhaps for the first time or feel perhaps for the first time God's love. The Bible is an amazing narrative that it was as true as the day that it happened as it is now. And it's a narrative that encompasses all of you. It does not stop on the last page. It continues in our presence, in our lifetime, through us. And it is amazing. The struggles and trials that we have endured, the experiences that we have had, certain things in our lives can enable us, have prepared us to minister to others in a unique way. There's an upper story and a lower story in play at every time. The upper story is what God's doing with it. The lower story is what we experience. We may not be able to see what, how our life is being prepared for that, but you have to remember we're a tiny thread on a giant tapestry. And we can have faith that God is working in that. For Moses, the situation ultimately brought him to be on that mountain, that mountain of God, gave him experience that prepared him for his calling. If you remember, when they were, when his, uh, all the little boys were being slaughtered, his mother saved him by putting him in a boat and, and hiding him. But he was found by a daughter of a pharaoh. And his sister, who observed it, was really quick of mind. And so she ran and said, oh, I know someone that could take care of that child for you if you want to keep him. And then Moses' mom got to raise him to a point where he joined the Pharaoh's family. And by doing so, he was educated as 
of one of the Pharaoh's family. Basically, he got a doctorate in Egyptology. And it's suffice to say that he's the only one on that mountain or with all the sheep that would have had the intimate knowledge of Egypt to be able to do the work that he was calling for. He was being prepared during this whole time. Even still, Moses said, not me, Lord. Last week, Pastor Ryan shared that the greatest threat to the church is failure to know God's word and to live it out. He said it was a lack of knowledge of God's word. That lack of knowledge of God's word can lead us to not recognize God's voice when we're being called. The prophet Samuel, who is the last of the judges, who was chosen by God to anoint the first king of Israel, King Saul, even he failed to recognize the voice when first called. 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10, explains how he missed it. But in each time, when the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel, he jumped up and said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And I said, I did not, just go back to sleep. Then a second time, Samuel, Samuel, Eli, you need me this time? No, go back to sleep. And a third time. And so finally, Eli actually discipled him and said, I think you're being called by God. But he had failed to recognize that voice. Once you become attuned to God's voice, you can better discern how and when he is calling you. But, but how do we do that? Kind of in the same way that Eli helped Samuel. By discipleship, by immersing ourselves in his word, in the Bible, and through prayer. But prayer that is not just supplication, asking for things, but conversation, listening. That's how Jesus prayed. And unfortunately, many of us, we ask, but we don't listen. And in order to hear, to be attuned into his voice, you have to both ask and listen. To have supplication, please, Lord. And conversation, I hear you, Lord. He is calling you. He is calling you by name. Let's look at another calling. Let's look at the calling of his disciples by Christ. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22. <clears throat> As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, many people read that, and they say, look, wasn't that amazing? Jesus was walking by, just saw some fishermen half-hazardly, and said, hey, guys, follow me. And they had jumped up and followed him. 
It's not really how it worked. Because in the Gospel of John, we see that it wasn't their first interaction with Jesus. Jesus had already been ministering at this time, and he had been doing it for about a year or so, and he had met them when they were still disciples of John the Baptist. And Jesus' first years of ministry are given to us in the Gospel of John 1 through 4. Water and wine, meeting with the Pharisee Nicodemus, Samaritan woman at the well, healing of the nobleman's son. But when we go to John, we see the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them falling and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that John had said and, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter and rock. Simon, Peter, and Andrew had a previous relationship with Jesus, as I stated, prior to him calling him to join them. He had been with them for a while. They had been begun to experience what he was all about. And then for some time, they went back and were fishermen. So when he was calling them, he wasn't calling them into a salvation like he is now to us. He was calling them to a work. He wanted them to join him and learn about his ministry. Doesn't that describe us? Most of us, if not all of us here, would profess to have a previous relationship with Christ. Most of us have already responded to Christ's invitation to come and see. And yet, how many of us, when called to come out of the boat, when called to actively be a part of the ministry of Jesus Christ as we are now, how many of us would rather go fishing or hunting or camping or just too busy? or just about any other thing than respond willingly to his call. Do you know his voice? Are you hearing his call? Statistics show that when go while gospel preaching is undoubtedly important, personal witness and friendship, coming into Christ-like relationships, continue to be the primary means by which people are brought to Christ. I invite you and encourage you the next time you are confronted by an opportunity to enter into a situation and demonstrate the gospel, to share the good news of Christ, that you consider leaving the boat and responding to that call. Whether it's at the grocery store, taking part in teaching classes here at your church, or a multitude of other opportunities that present them to yourselves. Opportunities for you to live out your faith in a tangible way. Leave the boat and follow Christ. Remember, God is with us. 
But wait, you say, we are in the midst of a pandemic. How can we follow his command and respond to it with COVID rampant in the world? Martin Luther in 1527 had a, wrote a letter that has remarkable application to us today. You see, it was in the midst of plagues in Europe, but it was also in the midst of the Reformation. And the, the community was divided and they were both criticizing him. Some for taking too many precautions, some for not taking enough. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So he wrote a letter. First, he stressed that Christians are people who have been called by God, and the model for faithfully living out one's calling is nothing other than Christ himself. And then he wrote in his letter, in part, and I say in part because if you get it, it's like a 10-page letter or so. It would be like an editorial page and beyond in today's newspaper. But what he wrote was, you wish to know whether it's proper for a Christian to run away from a deadly plague, insert pandemic. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid persons and places where my presence is not needed in order to not cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God so wished to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above, taking all precautions. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. God is calling you by name. When we are called, we need to respond. It is amazing how applicable what Martin Luther wrote at that time is to us today. Remember, we must first dedicate ourselves to hearing God's voice by immersing ourselves in the scripture through prayer, through discipleship, through a deepening relationship with Christ. We need to increase in our knowledge of God's word. Another Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Let your life be a demonstration of your faith. As Pastor Ryan shared last week, be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Our weaknesses are his strength, and amazing transformations can occur when we willingly respond to his call. You have gifts and talents loaned by God while he was here, while you are here on this earth. Romans 12, for each of us has one body, for each as let me one more time. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Through saying yes... Through accepting the command that Christ had given me, the calling that I was woefully unprepared for at the time it happened, I've been blessed to become the executive director of your love in the name of Christ ministry. 
and every day we spend trying to help people find their callings to come out and enter into relationships with people that are hurting, to find what the cause of that hurting is, not the symptoms of them, and to help them to transform their lives into thriving and flourishing as God has intended. I'm inviting you here today to allow us to help you discover ways to use your gift and talents to bring transformation. Transformations that will first happen with you, spread to those that we enter into relationships with, and then spread and transform our community. As Jesus said, come and see. Take a chance. Find out how you, how you can serve our neighbors in need who reach out for help. Get involved. Answer the calling. Listen for the voice. Do the things you need to to be able to recognize the voice. Come and see. Be courageous in your faith. Let your faith be reflected in the little things you do as well as in the big things. Remember, God is with us. And finally, if you think, I'm not enough, I don't have the words or anything, there was a little girl that went to camp, the camp that Dean and I, Pastor Dean and I served at. She went to camp, she found Christ, she went back to her family, first camp she had ever been in in her life, went back to her family and asked the family to drop her off at the, the church that sponsored her for their youth group. And we witnessed earlier youth pastor and what they can do. But dropped off each week to youth group until the parents said, let's go in here and find out what this is all about. And they found something so special that they hadn't been married before. So they moved into separate houses until they can get married and come together as a Christian family. Another little girl in this community read a newspaper article on Christmas Day. And it inspired her to make a donation drive in her secular school for her class that spread through the school. And then they had an assembly and honored her for her drive to support your love in the name of Christ ministry in front of all the kids in that school. And finally, there was a woman who said, I want your help, but I don't want your churchy stuff. Just keep that. Just give me what I want. And by the way, I don't want your prayers either. But we, a volunteer went into and entered into that relationship and didn't realize that she wasn't supposed to pray and prayed with her anyway. And she called the next day and said, I've never experienced anything like that. I think I want to try this church stuff you're talking about. You never know the power. You never know what your preparation will do for others until you step out in that faith. Be courageous in your faith. Remember, God is with us. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to, to gather together to, in worship to you. When it is said that you demand worship, it is not that you are saying that we must worship you. It's just that you're so magnificent that it brings that out in us. 
We want to listen to your call. We want to hear your voice. We want to live it out in ways that just brings a, a peaceful wholeness to people that are broken, to the world that are broken, to this, to this community where it's broken. And we thank you for the, the calling. We thank you that, like Samuel, you call for us over and over until we hear your voice. And we ask, ask for that discernment to be able to hear it. And we ask for you to continue to keep calling. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you so much.